Hey everybody, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural. I am vaccinated, caffeinated, and soon to be inebriated, Emily. How about you? I concur. Yeah, I have <laughs> two trulies in front of me because... Wow, that's that's truly frightening or amazing. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I, we will find out as this episode goes on. <laughs> if I start getting obnoxious and I start speaking in cursive, I'm going to need all of you to mind your business and just keep listening. Well, the good news is you already had a good cry because you watched a Disney movie. I did. So that's out of you. So if it, things get too emotional, you might already be too dried out to cry, right? We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> oh, we don't want to forget after this episode, Emily and I are going to be breaking down the thrilling conclusion of Dexter New Blood. We're both huge fans. We've been fans of Dexter really since the beginning and thought it'd be a fitting palate cleanser. That's coming up later. But first, a tale of two doctors. Andrew Bagby was a bright, charismatic, naturally funny individual. This guy loved his family and he loved his profession too, as he was a recent doctor. He obtained his residency in the state of Pennsylvania. Shirley Turner was also a doctor, but had a plethora of skeletons in her closet. She was manipulative, vengeful, and had a deep-seated fear of rejection. When the two met in the late 1990s, they were on a collision course for a terrible ending, one that still resonates to this day. This is the story of Dr. Andrew Bagby and Dr. Shirley Jane Turner. Three names. Three names. Jinx. that Andrew Bagby was beloved by his family and friends would kind of be an understatement, I would say. Mm -hmm. In 2008, a film was released in his honor, Emily, and that's how I came upon this case. I just happened to see this documentary, which I have to say is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, you gotta see it. Now, maybe wait until after we're done with the podcast to watch it, but you definitely have to check it out. It's It's quite a tribute to him. And it's just a beautiful look at this young man's life as told by some of those closest to him, his friends and family. He was born in September of 1973 in Sunnyvale, California, which I'm looking out my window right now. That sounds like absolute paradise because we're yeah. being hit by a snowstorm at the moment. And I looked it up, Emily. Mm -hmm. The average high at this time of the year in Sunnyvale, California is 60 degrees. Glorious. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yesterday, almost all of the snow was melted. Mm -hmm. And today, there's like... It's back. Five inches. <laughs> it's back with a vengeance. I'm unhappy. Me too. Me too. 
So Andrew was really an all-around good guy. He'd even make like home movies with his friends. I don't know if you ever did that as a kid, but I did, and it was so much fun. And we're not going to talk about the home movies I made with my friends. Moving on. <laughs> They're embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, once he got older, one of the best friends that he had that he made all these movies with actually decided to become a filmmaker. And Andrew was so cool that he wrote him a $2,000 startup check to get going. Wow. What a nice guy. Yeah. I know. That's a true friend right there. And uh, for medical school, he actually moved about 4,000 miles away to Newfoundland, Canada, which by all accounts, he loved it there. He met some great people, had some lifelong friends, including his former fiance, Heather. Mm. Now, Unfortunately, Andrew and Heather didn't end up lasting for whatever reason, although it's clear that it was an amicable breakup. And she even mentioned that she hoped that he would find someone who suited him, someone who complimented him, someone who made him happy. Instead, Andrew met Shirley Turner. So Shirley was also attending medical school in Newfoundland and those closest to Andrew aren't entirely sure how exactly they met, but once she showed up, she was kind of always around him. And it doesn't sound like his friends liked her too much. Don't you hate that when one of your best friends starts dating somebody you can't stand? I don't know about you, but I definitely had instances of that in my life. Yeah. Where they're with this new person, you can't stand the person, but they are just enthralled with the person, and it kind of is almost a divider in your friendship for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I'm pretty sure I have been, like, the friend in this scenario that was dating somebody that all of my friends couldn't stand, um, which that tracks if you want to look at my dating Shocker. History. Shocker. Um, <laughs> Well, they all seem to think that Andrew and Shirley just weren't exactly a good fit for each other. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. You see two people together and you're like, okay, but I don't get it. Like, how are they making it work? They don't seem like they'd be compatible. For sure. And something about her just seemed a little bit off to everybody and everyone she encountered. To start, she was about 12 years older than Andrew. And she also was apparently extremely vulgar at very inappropriate moments. Ah. And that kind of rubbed people the wrong way as well. Plus, it turns out Shirley had already been married twice, in fact. And she had three children, but none of them were anywhere to be seen. Hmm. Yeah. So... I could see where that would be concerning. Concerning, but also, you know, things happen in life. Who knows? Um, But she did seem a little bit off, as we mentioned, and especially when it came to relationships. Now, she was born in Canada in 1961. She was actually raised in Wichita, Kansas, but she moved back to Canada shortly thereafter and had her first child in 1981 with a man she met in college, whom she soon after married. When her baby was born, the father became a stay-at-home dad, 
while Shirley continued in school and eventually became a science teacher. Hmm. In, 1980, in 1983, she had another child with her first husband before finally leaving him for apparently, I guess, an old boyfriend is what I found in my research, whom she then married a few years later and had another child with him. Now, it was at this point that Shirley Turner had her first brush in with the law, so to speak. In October of 1993, a guy who was boarding an airplane with Shirley became so worried about the way in which she was kind of treating her children. He said that she was emotionally and physically abusing them, that he called the police. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Canadian social workers ended up interviewing her kids who said that they regularly received spankings and even the belt on occasion from their mother. From their mom? However, though, the children's father disputed this and said that Shirley only threatened to use the belt on them if they didn't behave. Mm. Now, the weird thing about this is they didn't interview Shirley. They interviewed the children and their father, but not her. I didn't get this, but whatever. So that was dropped. Moving on. Mm -hmm. And her marriage to her second husband lasted until about the mid-1990s. Shirley was then granted custody of the child that they had together. However, the weird thing was, is she shipped the kid back to the dad within weeks of the hearing. Wow. And then she sent her two other children from her previous marriage to live with their paternal grandmother, all so she could go to medical school in Newfoundland, which is where she met Andrew. Mm-hmm. So, baggage. Lots and lots of baggage with Shirley, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, as we'll come to find out. Andrew and Shirley eventually leave school. They graduate. He first lands a job as a surgeon in Syracuse, New York, while she moves to Council Bluffs, Iowa. So there's... Hey, I've been there. Me too. Suburb of Omaha. Andrew was kind of already moving on with his life. I mean, this is a pretty long distance relationship. This is over a thousand miles here. Yeah. But Shirley was determined to make it work and visited him often. In fact, from what I found, she visited him seven times and he visited her once. So over how long? Uh, over about a year and a half stretch here. Okay. So it's clearly a bit one sided. Now, it's common for a lot of people in the medical field to make adjustments once they get into the workplace. And Andrew realized that he kind of wasn't cut out for being a surgeon. It's a very stressful line of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you're literally messing around in people's bodies. You are cutting right. people open and fixing things. Fascinating. Can you imagine? Fascinating. Prof- Dude, um, in another life, I would have loved to be a surgeon. If I had, had gotten my grades up and stuff, and I mean, maybe I could have made it work, but. Yeah. If I had taken school. Seriously? More seriously, and I wasn't one to just lollygag my way through life, I may have pulled off medical school. So he kind of pivoted. And went into the family practice arena, Emily, where he landed a sweet gig in the small town of Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes east of Pittsburgh. My friend lives outside of Pittsburgh. Well, I was thinking about that, and I realized 
that almost like inadvertently, I think Pennsylvania has probably been our most covered state. I don't think that's been intentional. We just, we've been in Pennsylvania a lot. Like what the hell's going on in Pennsylvania? A lot, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Because I didn't even know this case was going to be in Pennsylvania. I'm like, shit. God. So Andrew is happy where he is. At this point, he loves his job. He loves the community. And he's finally trying to cut Shirley out of his life. But she keeps on visiting him. And Emily, I'm not making excuses here. But, you know, if you're a lonely person... Maybe you don't have a spouse or a longtime partner that you can connect with. It might not be the easiest thing to let that companionship go, even if it's toxic. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I've I had, had a four-year relationship to prove it. <laughs> so on that note, in October of 2001, Andrew had all but ended the relationship. However... He had already invited Shirley to a friend's wedding. And for whatever reason, they both agreed that it would be cool for her to attend as his date. No, <laughs> not a good idea at this point. I mean, mm. too, too many red flags. You've already broken it off. Mm -hmm. Probably not the best idea. Mm -hmm. During it's the no for me. <laughs> me too. During the reception, Andrew's friends and family could kind of clearly see that Shirley was making him her property if you will she oh. was kind of staking her claim to him uh that documentary i showed or i i told you about kind of shows footage of her just all over him and she just would not leave him alone and she was kind of letting people that know that this was not over and that she was still a big part of andrew's life but not long after andrew broke things off with her for good and sent her on a plane back to Iowa, that's when shit really went down. So just a short time later, on November 4th, 2001, Shirley made the 1,000-mile drive from Iowa to Pennsylvania unannounced to see Andrew at 5.30 in the morning. She shows up at his house, Emily. She drove? Yeah. That's like a 17-hour drive. And apparently he lets her in and lets her like check her email and stuff. And I'm not sure where she went after that, but then he goes to work. And he told his close friend and colleague, Clark Simpson, that he was going to go meet her at this park. But his friend was kind of sus here and yeah. was like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, so he said, hey, I'll meet up with you at 730. I'm going to meet up with her at six. You and I will grab a couple beers at 730 and we'll talk this out. So Did Clark he never show up. For well, Clark was kind of suspicious and he told Andrew as much, but Andrew was like, dude, 
everything's fine. You're blowing this out of proportion. And I'll see you at 7.30. Well, 7.30 came and went, and Andrew Bagby was nowhere to be seen, which was unusual because this guy was never late for anything. Remember, he's a doctor. Doctors are, well, I guess they're always late. Yeah, I was going to say, have you ever tried to have just like a regular checkup? Your appointment? I, I, I literally realized that as I was saying. Yeah, I mean, like you go in for a checkup, your appointment. 45 is, minutes later. Yeah, you, they say show up 15 minutes early. So yeah. you show up 15 minutes Which early. Which is bullshit. You don't even get brought back to the room until no. 20 minutes after you're scheduled. At least you don't get got, though. Which is what happened here. So the next I mean, morning, in a way, you're getting got with, you know, American Health Insurance. But that's a discussion for a different day. So the next morning, Andrew was found dead in the parking lot of the park that he was at with five bullet holes in his body. Five. And we've talked about this before, Emily. If if it's just a sporadic crime, it's probably just going to be one or two gunshots. Yeah. But for him, he had a gunshot in the face, one in the chest, one in the back of the head, and one in each of his buttocks. What? And he had also suffered a blunt force trauma to the back of the head. So clearly, this was a crime of rage. Yeah, I'll say. Jesus. And when Andrew's parents found out and his friends found out, the devastation was just enormous people really couldn't believe that a guy like him such a good guy would die in such a heinous way yeah and when police began investigating it really didn't take them long to connect the dots to shirley turner in fact it was andrew's close friend and work colleague clark simpson who we mentioned before Mm -hmm. who first let law enforcement know that shirley had actually been in town that very day. So, not surprisingly, local police contacted Shirley and she was like, What? You're kidding me. He's dead? No way. And by the what? way, she, she had already made her way back to Iowa by this time. Well, of course. Never because let she was them know. Try and act like she was there the whole time. Right. I never left Iowa. What do you mean? I've been here the whole I'm time. I'm a thousand miles away. Are you kidding me? And so she, yeah, she never said that she was in Pennsylvania when he died. But cell phone records at the time determined, as Maury would say, that was a lie. Mm-hmm. And. Then she pivoted and changed her story to a ludicrous offering in which she said she had met up with Andrew that day and for whatever reason gave him her gun. What the actual fuck? Is she trying is she, is she trying to say that he killed himself? I feel like she's trying to get a guilty sentence. That's what it feels like to me. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but like Yeah, I think that's what she was at least in my mind, yes, that's what she was trying to do. He shot himself in the ass two with times. With a gun that I gave him. Then the back of the head oh, and the and chest and the face. By the way, I didn't even mention this. She had been taking lessons on how to shoot a gun for a couple of months before this point. Hmm. 
and they even interviewed the guy that was giving her lessons, and he said, yeah, the gun that you're talking about that killed Andrew is the gun in question, or at least the bullets used in question. So in the meantime, Andrew's family holds a memorial service for him in Pennsylvania, and guess who fucking shows up? She did not. Yeah, Shirley shows up. She's what the ba- fuck? She's bawling her eyes out, pretending to be just devastated. Mm. And she mm-hmm. even confronts Andrew's ex-fiance, Heather. Remember her? Yeah. And she tells Heather that Andrew never loved her the way he loved Shirley. What the fuck, bitch? At the memorial service. Uh-uh. Crazy. So I now thought, the- I thought for a second that you were going to say that she went there and was going to try and pin it on Heather. Like, why? How could you do that? Why would you kill him? You know, something like that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I'm sure she, if she had thought of that, she would have done it. But yeah. So now the cops are honing in. But Shirley, who must have obviously been aware at this time that they were coming after her, she makes her way back to Canada where she has dual citizenship. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, they can't get to her at least right away. Oh, my God. Andrew's family holds another memorial service in his honor, yeah. this time in his home state of California. And... Where they are, this thing well, they already showing up. Well, th- here's the thing, though, Emily. Does she fucking show up to that, too? They want her to show up. Oh. Because they want to trick her into coming back oh, to, the back United, to States the United States, States. Mm-hmm. to get arrested. Mm-hmm. So, he inv- so Andrew's family actually invites Shirley in hopes that she would be promptly arrested. Did she take the bait? Did she show up? She did not take the bait. Bitch. I know. I was really hoping she did. But she is arrested by Canadian authorities. Ooh, for what? Unfortunately, she's quickly released on bail due to some technicalities Mm. between the two countries. Dumb. So they can't hold on to her. But they do stake out her residence. And Emily, you know what they found while they were sifting through her garbage? Bloody clothes. No. The gun. Pictures of an ultrasound. Oh. Shirley was pregnant. No. And Andrew was the father. No. We'll continue with part two of this story next week where Shirley tries to outsmart the legal system and keep her freedom and Andrew's parents make a bold choice and move to Canada to get the legal guardianship of their grandson. That's some bullshit. (laughs) Now it's time for the unnatural palate cleanse. Okay, I'm going to ask you something, and I want you to be honest. 
what is a palette? Where Emily and Andy bring you their own unique and offbeat tales of intrigue from around the world today. So, Emily, let's talk Dexter, New Blood. Yes, please. The original Dexter ended in 2013, and I think it's fair to say that it was one of the most polarizing finales in TV history. You and I have talked about this briefly. I was on the end where I was not a big fan of the ending, where he turns into a lumberjack. I thought that there was much to be desired and we needed something more concrete. I think you had told me that you were kind of okay with the original finale. Okay, so um, here's... The deets. The deets. Um, I was kind of okay with the original ending because um, it wasn't the worst ending in TV history, but I did like knowing that he survived and I had hoped that maybe there would be some sort of like like movie special or another series but then like the years kept passing and I was like oh like maybe not but I was still okay hopeful with the ending like knowing that Dexter was still out there doing Dexter things yeah And years go by, and then finally we hear that there is going to be a reboot. Mm -hmm. Not really a reboot, but a continuation of the saga. And most people kind of figured that it would be a one-off. It would be one season to kind of wrap things up because so many people had issues with that final season. And we finally did get Dexter New Blood, and you actually convinced me to order showtime i did which i'm so happy that you did because let's just get it out there right now so for me this one-off season of dexter new blood i would definitely give it an a i mean it was i i think from beginning to end it was one of the better seasons in the entire history of dexter which is saying a lot and I felt like it wrapped things up in a perfect way. What about you? Yeah. Um, I Well, I did read a couple of the books. Yeah. I didn't read all of them. But I think... Um, but I think the last book, or maybe the last two books in the series, written by the author's name is... Jeff Lindsay. Yeah. Um, not Jim Lindsay. Not Jim Lindsay, but Jeff Lindsay. I. And by the way, we, we should say right now, uh, spoiler warning. I feel like we should just add that in at the very beginning. <laughs> spoilers ahead. There's going to be massive spoilers for the final season of Dexter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I knew that there was, there was a book that, like... Tied things together, yeah. Yeah, tied things together where, like, I don't know how close... I don't remember how closely the books follow the show or the show follows the books, but I I had 
like I was under the impression because there was there was a book that came out after the initial run of the show ended. Yeah. And I think that's the book that this new blood is based off loosely. Of. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like I knew there was a continuing story and I had kind of told myself that like if nothing else happens with Dexter, I will read all of the books just to know what happens. Yeah, same. And then and then I heard that um, the new blood was coming out and I was so excited um, just because the original show was so good. Um, I, I wasn't, I know a lot of people were really nervous about the show because when is a reboot ever good? But I felt like a lot of the writers were the same. You know, Michael C. Hall was heavily involved in like, and excited the about it, yeah, and producing it, yeah. So, um, I went into it really excited, and I was not disappointed in in the least. Yeah, yeah, same here. So, I mean, if you could give it a grade, I gave it an A, not an A plus, because there are a few things that I had an issue with, but a solid yeah. A. What about you? You know, even with my issues, I'm going to give it an A+. Plus just okay. because um, nothing's perfect. I do have some issues, but I think collectively this series was so great. Yeah. And the way it ended was it, like, everything just kind of came full circle for me. So. Yeah. And remember how it starts it starts with uh, the white deer Mm -hmm. and I think honestly now when I look back I didn't realize it at the time but when I look back that was a metaphor and Dexter is the white deer and of course Matt Caldwell kills the white deer and Dexter sees that and is just so enraged that he kills Matt Caldwell Mm-hmm. And fast forward to the end of the series, Harrison has to kill the vulnerable Dexter, who, in my opinion, is kind of a symbolization of the white deer himself. That's that's kind of the way I read into it. Um, and it, it's also a little telling that even towards the end, when Angela is confronting him, when Harrison is confronting him, there's a few moments where Dexter is looking to the side and even trying to get away and thinking of how he's going to get out of it because that's just his natural instinct. Um, yeah, well, rule number one in the code is yeah. don't get caught. Yeah. And yet, I think Dexter matured over this season more than he ever had throughout any of the previous seasons. Yeah. Um, and obviously... We're just going to say it. Dexter does die in the end. Um, I thought it was a fitting death. I th- I thought it was... I remember I texted you. It was almost Shakespearean, mm-hmm. poetic, the way that it was set up that Harrison is the one who had to kill Dexter because we kind of saw in the episode leading up to it that, yeah, maybe Harrison has a dark passenger himself, but it's almost a dark passenger light. It's not yeah. it's not exactly the same dark passenger as Dexter has, but yet Harrison has to kill him in the end. Right. And I was talking with one of my friends about this because he my um my friend Mark actually kind of 
disagrees with um, my view of the ending. He thought, like, thematically, it wasn't the correct way to end the show because Dexter's whole thing was Harrison was um, born in blood. You know, he wanted to, like, he... Throughout, like, the whole thing until, I think, what was it, episode four, when Harrison, um, Harrison's dark passenger, if you will, kind of comes to light yeah. with um, the other kid. I forget what his name is. Um, but like the, he, the kid he pegs as being, like, a, you know, school shooter or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Dexter has always been like, no, he can't be like me. He can't be like me. So, it's almost... Um, like my friend felt like it was almost hypocritical to have Harrison kill him in the end. But my take on it was that, um, you know, Dexter, even though he is like the anti-hero that we all root for, he had kind of, you know, we saw that he had kind of become the evil. He swore to protect against, especially after he killed Logan mm-hmm. and I kind of that's have what issues. did it for me yeah I kind of have issues with that whole thing slightly I feel like um you know in that last episode maybe even the last two episodes they they almost made Dexter kind of like going crazy which was very out of character for yeah. him you know but then you can also attribute it to you know, he has his son back and now he's kind of just he's willing to do whatever it takes to protect his son. Yeah, he's got that paternal instinct going on. Yeah. But, you know, um, I watched the finale twice and I feel like Harrison didn't have a dark passenger in the same way that Dexter yeah. did. I think that because, you know, um, Harrison talks about how, you know, his like he was just filled with rage because he wanted to kill Trinity to like avenge his mother's death. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe in a way killing Dexter almost was Harrison's revenge and that was was his way. Yeah, that was his way to let go of everything and, you know, get that closure. Because in a way, killing Dexter was freeing Harrison from his own dark passenger. That makes sense. And yet it leaves it up to possibly down the line years from now, Mm -hmm. maybe a sequel with Harrison. We'll have to see. I, I do have a few nits to pick here, though. Um, my first one. Yeah, tell me your issues. Let's go. Let's talk about our issues. I talked about a couple of mine. Okay. I have a couple more. My biggest issue. Um, I don't like it when a red herring is presented just for the case of throwing someone off, mm-hmm. and and not really putting that someone that person back into the story for any other reason. And I felt the billionaire was basically the show trying to trick us. Mm-hmm. into thinking that he was the ultimate enemy, um, which I, I understand from a certain sense, but they never brought him back to pay it off at all. 
And I thought that was kind of a disservice to the fans. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, and I remember. I mean, um, he never comes back. You know, it's just it feels it feels weird that it was even introduced. Yeah, well, and you texted me because you had this crazy theory about the billionaire, and I had a theory about the billionaire too at first. Um, But then you know the show progressed, and I was like, no, like I just I don't feel like the billionaire is really involved in anything. And you were like, no, he like he is. Yeah, and I'm just like, I just don't think so. And then you know, as we found out, obviously that the billionaire really didn't have anything to do with it. Um, But then talking with one of my other friends about this, Annie, hi, um, she had said that. she felt like the billionaire's purpose was to show what type of person Audrey was. Maybe. I don't I don't know if that was executed in the best way though. Well, and I could see where she was coming from and like I I thought about it more and I was like, yeah, because then we really did get a picture of who she was as a character and as a yeah. person and she um in my opinion anyway stayed really true to that, you know, for the rest of for the rest of her part in the series it it just felt like you know with some of the protests that were going on outside of the you know the building that he was at when he was coming out and some of that that he was going to have some sort of larger role with this and it felt like the the show was kind of deliberately trying to take us off course for a moment so he wouldn't focus solely on you know uh matt caldwell's father there kirk um Mm -hmm. My other issue is at the end, and I talked to you about this. And again, these are tiny little nits to pick. Overall, I love the show. But my other issue is Angela at the very end when she sees that Harrison has killed his father. She, t- she, you know, she randomly gives him some money, however much money, I don't know, and tells him to leave, get on the highway and go. Would it have been better just to tell Harrison to fess up to what he did and maybe he'll spend some time in juvie rehabilitates and get let out that way. When he does get let out, he'll still be able to be a part of the community or something. He won't be on the run. He won't be be able to be a part of the community. I mean, he loved that community. He had really did, but the community saw him hurt the wrestler he cut that kid's leg and then it's going to come out who dexter really was so i don't think he would have i don't think he would have been accepted in that community at all i think he would have been run off run out very quickly so what do you think happens to harrison in the next five years where does he go what does he do i don't know does I he? D- I I don't know because he doesn't he doesn't have anyone. Yeah. Who does he have? Himself. Yeah. That's um, it. I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks that maybe it was all in vain, and maybe Harrison does have a dark passenger, and he goes that will on. kind of evolve and grow through time. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe he goes to Miami and mm. tries to find people who knew 
his dad. Yeah. Maybe he just goes somewhere and lives his life. I feel like the possibilities for Harrison really are endless. Yeah. And I think the possibilities for this show to continue with him, maybe three, five years down the line, you know, it's that that's certainly up in the air at this point. I, I, I don't think it could be, I, I don't think it's cut and dry that it's the complete end of this saga. I think there is a chance that it comes back in a few years time. It just depends on what the writers and producers want to do here. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. And yeah, I don't know because they were, I mean, they were very tight lipped on what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, like if there was going to be a second season, which Mm -hmm. obviously there is not because Dexter is dead. Although I did see a few theories that said he wasn't dead, which is hilarious to me. Yeah, some people said no. He he's not actually dead. Angela's covering it up, and he's going to get get away. No, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah, I mean, I I understand. I understand why people would cling on to that theory because I didn't want Dexter to die. I wanted. More I was fifty fifty on it. Yeah, there was part of me that definitely wanted him to die because I felt like that was the only way. The story can conclude in a proper manner. However, I was so attached to the character that I didn't want him to die. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I love Dexter as a character. I love Michael C. Hall as an actor, as Dexter. Um, So, like, I mean, it it makes sense for his character development that, that, like, the the only way this ends is with him in prison or dead. And... I don't think any, I think people would be less happy with him in prison than they would with him dead. For sure. You know, so. There's always um, going to be haters out there. Yeah. There, haters going to hate. But, but I, I think it was a, a, a fantastic conclusion to honestly, one of the great, great series of the 21st century. And, and yeah. I don't think that that's an understatement. I, I honestly think that it's one of the best series that we've seen. Um, you know, in our lifetime, that's how great this. Well, this yeah, series because was. I mean, generally, when you think of serial killers, you're not rooting for them; they're no. not the good guy. And that's what was, was crazy. He was he was one of the first antiheroes. You think yeah. of, and he wasn't the very first. Obviously, there was Tony Soprano, uh, there was um, Walter White in Breaking Bad, but mm-hmm. Dexter was definitely among them, and. Yeah. The way that they finally put this to a fitting end, I I think that's going to go down as one of the great uh, endings in TV history. But I guess I it's up in the air. Well, um, what other issues did you have? Did you have any? No, that that was basically it for me. Those were the nits that I had to pick. But all in all, I thought uh, it was a fitting end. And R.I.P. Dexter, you were one of the greats ever. And you certainly entertained us for a very, very long time. I had one other issue and it goes back to that episode four. And I had to look up this kid's name because it was bothering me that I couldn't remember. The kid's name is Ethan that Harrison yes. stabs. But that episode was too much Deb. Yeah. And how manic and crazy she was throughout the series was kind of annoying to me, but especially in that episode. I mean, if she was Deb 
if she came in as Deb from like seasons one through four, yeah, I would have been all about it. But she was just Deb kind of annoyed me. Yeah. But I did really like at the very end, you know, like as Dexter's dying. When she's holding his hand. Yeah, that yeah. was very that was very sweet. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I also agree that you know, in the in the first parts of the series, it's his dad mm-hmm. who is talking to him from beyond the grave. And that felt a little bit more authentic and genuine than Deb. I don't know if that was executed properly throughout this run. Um, I think I, it was just too there were much. points, yeah, there were points that I liked with her, but exactly, there were points where she was just a little too overbearing in a sense. I um, mean, um, I liked I liked in the original series, you know, when Dexter's dad, you know, kind of came in and was like his voice of reason, showed him the code, and, yeah, and what did he also didn't he also like wasn't Dokes? kind of part of his hallucinations at one point too hmm. i don't remember it's been a long remember, time but i feel like it wasn't always his dad i feel like other for the most part of, it was yeah yeah um but even even then when it was harry it was very subtle yeah but it seemed like um she was in his face like, yeah like every time dexter was alone deb was mm-hmm. there i've it was a little. It was a little unnecessary, but yeah. I mean, like even like throughout the whole original series, Deb was one of my favorite characters. Yeah, mine too. And I'm not sure if it uh, quite lived up to what they did in the first part. I got why they did it, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was executed properly. But at the same point, I'm yeah. glad they brought her back. And well, yeah, and I was a little surprised. I guess I didn't even I didn't even consider that she would be a part of it. Because, same here, because she like she's dead. Yeah, and then you know, in that very first episode, he walks into the kitchen and she's standing there, and I was like, "Oh, it's Deborah." Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, you okay, this makes sense. I get this." Yeah, yeah but all in all, R.I.P. Dex, a fitting end to one of the best shows of my life, and. Man, it's going to be tough to not have him, but we we already went like eight years, so I think we're going to be okay. Well, now it's not eight years; it's forever. Exactly, and at least unless they do some sort of spinoff with Harrison and Dexter is his voice of reason, but even then, I feel like that would just give it time. Though maybe five years from now, you'll feel differently. Maybe who knows? But we'll see. at least it was a better ending than Game of Thrones. That's for oh sure. My God. I don't think any ending, honestly, <laughs> we're, we're not even going to go down that road, but that was horrific. Yeah, that was Horrendous. Tough. Well, Atrocious. And, and again, and embarrassment. because, and you and I are in agreement, they could have done it so much better. Yeah. So much better. And I get that George R.R. R. Martin hadn't finished the books and he kind of dropped the ball there. So not all the blame is on them. But if they would have had an extra four episodes in the season... Could have ended it much better than what they yeah. did. Then you would have shown Danny's cray cray side a little bit better. But that's for another episode. Agreed. Anyway, speaking of cray cray, folks can get cray cray if they head on over to our socials. Yeah, they can find us on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod. 
Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. Come hang out with us on Facebook, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Send us a Gmail with your thoughts on Dexter or Game of Thrones, um, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon page where you can find bonus episodes, outtakes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. We will come back next week with the epic conclusion of Andy's case. Yes, the conclusion of Dr. Shirley Turner and what the hell went down after she fled to Canada. We'll find out next week. Still vaccinated, not quietly as much caffeinated as I once was, but definitely more inebriated. How about you? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the buzz a little bit. (laughs) On that note. Make good choices. And don't get got. So he kind of pivoted it. Or so he kind of pivoted. 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 He kind of pivoted. Why did I have to make that one of my words? Um, so he kind of pivoted and went. <laughs> I said it right that time, didn't I? Yes. Or am I just overemphasizing it now? You're overemphasizing Fuck. it. Fuck. So he kind of pivoted and went to the family practice arena. <laughs> so he decided a change of course and went to the. Pa- <laughs> So he said, fuck that. I'm not going to be a surgeon anymore. Um, I thought you were going to sing Backstreet Boys for a second. No. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Rock, Rock your, your body. body. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. Rock, Rock your, your body. Right. Unnatural's back. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I fucking boring you? Yeah, you are. Gives <laughs> the, the point. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay.